right, welcome back to the Rooted and Logos podcast, uh, episode 29, I think, is where we are now. We're pushing ever closer to that elusive 50 mark. I feel like there needs to be a celebration when we hit 50, but uh, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Like a half a century old or something, we got to do that. But uh, this week, I am not joined by Austin and Carter. Uh, Austin is uh, nursing a, a sick family and, and uh, a pregnant wife, uh, child number 342, uh, due any day now. Um, we've been saying that for a while, and, it, and it's uh, hopefully going to come come true this week. She's definitely ready. Carter got stuck at work today because we're recording a lot later than normal. Normally, I'd be sitting here editing to, to put it out, but uh, we're going to record kind of late. And so today, I'm joined by a, a guy that I've known for, what, 10, 12 years? Easily. Yeah. Uh, his roommate of mine for a year or so that, that uh, worked out well. Best roommate I've ever had. So... Yeah. Although Carter's Damn. not Carter's not bad. I guess he's he's living here for a bit, so he's all right. But you're old you were old enough to drink, so it was it was a lot better. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna hold on to that best roommate ever. <laughs> he can he can't even yeah. compare. <laughs> so uh so Steven hosts a podcast uh, along with a couple of his friends uh called Marvelous Music. You can find it on all the streaming platforms. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh but because of that being his 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 podcast, I wanted to bring him on and just talk about Christian music. Uh, we're gonna kind of talk through what we used to listen to, what we grew up with. Uh, we, there's an age difference between us that maybe uh, plays a little bit of a role in what we what we liked and didn't like, and uh, kind of the state of Christian music today, and then what we're listening to right now. Just kind of having a conversation, a little bit lighter of an episode. We've had some pretty heavy topics lately, and so I was hoping to kind of lighten things up and. Just have something that's a little more entertaining and maybe get you guys introduced to some music that you don't don't already know. So I guess let's dive right in. So Stephen, you were born in, in what year? I was born in 96. 96. So what what did you listen to growing up? I mean, were you pretty much only allowed to listen to Christian music? I know that was kind of my initial rule until that until it changed when uh, when I was like in middle school. But what was kind of your musical background? I know you're very talented, so you've liked it forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I appreciate that. That threw me off. I had something ready to say. And then I was like, oh, uh, compliment. <laughs> yeah. um, no, you're you're pretty much right on with that. I um, It was even a little bit more restricted than that at first where like we really didn't, it was very limited on what I could listen to. It was like bluegrass and stuff my parents listened to essentially. And then really my only exposure to any kind of Christian music was whatever was going on in church. So it was a ton of hymns. It was whatever like modern worship music could slip through the cracks and, you know, that kind of thing, I guess, whatever was deemed appropriate enough. <laughs> um, and that was kind of, that was kind of what it was up until, I don't know, nine or 10 years old. Um, but I, I absorbed into that stuff, like as much as I possibly could, because I, I did music in many different respects all throughout my life um, up until here recently. So um, even from an early age, even if it was just hymns played on a piano, like I was like, ah, yes, this is rock and roll. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it really didn't matter what it was, but then things starting to kind of started to kind of loosen up a little bit. So once I started getting into some of the Christian music, it was, I think the first had to be, um, Stephen Curtis Chapman right around when declaration came out, which is kind of like peak, Chapman, I think, in my opinion. I mean, there's a there's a Regis um, Philbin reference in that song, correct? There, there is. Yeah. There is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, 
So there was that. I would say I was kind of behind though too. I wasn't into a lot of the the current stuff other than that. So I was I had a lot of catch up to play essentially. So like Rich Mullins was huge. I listened to him a lot. Um, Keith Green, which is older for sure. I, that's kind of the the granddaddy of CCM. But uh, those would be a few that I listened to as a kid. And then once I got to like my teenage years, it was, you know, the floodgates opened. Um, so it was Mercy Me, Tree 63, Toby Mac, you know, Red, Skillet, all, everything. Anyone that's been to Winter Jam, um, <laughs> anyone that does the festival route, like all the way down, that was kind of what I had growing up. So uh, Matt was very similar, born in 88 and for for the first little bit, it was only Christian music allowed. And then my mom kind of allowed me to branch out a little bit, but I didn't want to because I was very self-righteous as a middle schooler and just thought that, you know... It wasn't. Right. <laughs> and so I just thought that, oh, it has to be Christian or it's just evil. Like, it can't, you know, uh, that typical closed-minded, stereotypical Christian Christianese. So that being said, within the Christian realm, I had no restrictions. I could listen to whatever I wanted within the Christian realm. So I did the first concert I ever went to, and concerts are huge for me. I've seen name a Christian band. I've probably seen them at least once, if not multiple times in concert. And the first yeah. one I ever saw was DC Talk. So I grew up with, uh, I think the first CD I ever was either given or, or maybe the first CD I had that like kicked off this whole collection of having like seven or 800 CDs was um, was Jesus Freak in, in that yeah. album, which I think is one of the quintessential Christian albums that kind of paved the way 100%. for yeah paved the way for some of the stuff we get today still uh, which we'll get to that it, at some it point it blew the door it blew the door like wide open in the nineties on Christian music yeah well and then you go back to like the eighties the late eighties early nineties with DC Talk was doing all the rap that doesn't hold up today guys <laughs> at least I don't think it does uh, gosh I heard it on I forget what podcast I was listening to I heard DC Talk pop up. And just this little clip of a song here that I can't play much of because of copyright laws. At least I think that's how it works. I don't know, but this is just terrible. <laughs> so, circa 1990 rap. And I just thought that was that was the best, right? That was it was cutting edge stuff. Yeah, you notice in you notice in early DC talk that they kind of fell victim to what a lot of CCM does where their early stuff especially is like five to ten years behind what mainstream <laughs> uh, hip-hop sounded like at that time. And then Jesus Freak comes out and it, it blends a lot of stuff together. So it's actually like its own original sound. Um, and that's that's when it exploded, I think. And what's sad is they only made one other album after that. They made Supernatural yeah. and then they they broke off. We actually, we talked about in one of the episodes, early episodes of this, we talked about Kevin Max and his departure from the faith and uh, just kind of what that looks like. He's been Did very, he really? Oh yeah. He's been very outspoken over the last maybe two or three years of not believing what he said he believed back in the nineties when he was with DC talk. Did kinda, you know that if it was going to be any of them, it was going to be Kevin Max. Oh, for sure. The guy was, <laughs> is just, he's, he's out there a little bit. Got an amazing voice. Well, when they went solo, we'll, we'll, we'll go this route. When they went solo, I was so disappointed, of course, right? Um, funny story that my mom likes to bring up. Actually, I bring it up to 
kind of shame her still to this day. Um, she wouldn't let me go see DC Talk at Billy Graham, like in nine, in like two thousand. I want to say that was the year because it was when Intermission came out. And it's like you know they might be taking, they might be breaking up. Like this might be the last time I get to see him. She goes, no, nah, they won't break up. Literally a month later, they broke up and they were done. And they just split and, and did their own thing. And um, obviously, Michael Tate did a couple albums that were not good. Uh, Kevin Max did a few albums that were very weird. And then Toby Mac, of course, is still huge right now. Mainstream darling. Yeah, they they people love Toby Mac, but um, so yeah, that was it. DC Talk. Uh, early skillet um their stuff was solid when they had the collide album one of the best rock albums mm. i think uh really in any genre my argument when i was a kid and steven you can make fun of me for this if you want was that any music you can get on the secular side you can complement it with with christian music you can find the replacement um i mean i think you're right about that it's kind of well and it's caught up a little bit now just out of necessity like there's not the same gap between what's current in secular music and, and Christian music as there used to be. Um, but that's definitely still there to a point. Um, and it just kind of depends on the artist. Cause sometimes you get a lot of artists that are trying to mimic the sound they hear in popular secular music. And then you have some that are actually just trying to like push some boundaries and, and try to find new sounds. And that's kind of, that's the sweet spot, honestly. Yeah. But um, I would say you're probably right on that, whether it's in a good way or a bad <laughs> way. You're probably right. I do feel like a lot of times it's a bad way. Maybe not so much in the 90s, though, honestly. Because you, you look at DC Talk, Audio Adrenaline, Jars of Clay. Um, and then you, <laughs> then you can go back to like the Christian boy bands when uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were huge. You had Plus One and True Vibe. So they were... yeah. They were fun. I revisited them re- recently, just randomly in the car with a friend of mine. And uh, I was judged very hard for liking <laughs> Plus One and, and True Vibe. It's, it's just it's just kids these days. But I think what's interesting, too, with those first three that you mentioned is um, all three of them had crossover hits. Yeah. Like all three of them had crossover success in the mainstream as well. Yeah. And I, th- and I think you saw that a lot more then because then you can go with mm-hmm. Reliant K. Go Switchfoot and these bands that are playing the Vans Warped Tour, right? And, and you're like, you're playing alongside Limp Biscuit and Corn. That's yeah. kind of cool, actually. Actually, a lot of people didn't. <laughs> a lot of people didn't feel that way, but um, yeah, that's why they either burned out or stopped identifying as Christian altogether. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, th- I want to say Switchfoot might be in that realm where they just won't identify themselves as Christian. They're just kind of independent, and their faith mm-hmm. kind of is infused in some of their lyrics. Um, yeah, which kind of arguably makes him better. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I would think so, and, and we'll we'll get into that for sure here in a couple minutes. <laughs> but let's let's take a second now, and I just want to know if you, if you and I didn't ask you this beforehand, so if you don't have an answer, that's fine. Give me like a, as a kid, let's Stephen from the first memories of music to to like graduating high school. What would your top five bands of that era be, whether they're Christian or not? Um, because we'll talk about oh my gosh. kind of some of that too, but <laughs> I know I didn't prepare you for that. But um, top top five bands. Who did you? Who are your go tos? Like if I would even say maybe people you could still go back and listen to and say you know this still holds yeah. up. This is still solid more than nostalgia. Like it's actually yeah. solid music. Okay, I mean I I feel like anyone who knew me would like 
laugh me out of the room if I didn't say that Maroon 5 was on that list. Yeah. I may or may um, not have compared you to Adam quietly, Levine multiple yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I want to say, I kind of want to say Reliant K. Um, that was a phase though. I was, And I could still go back and listen to their stuff now, but there was definitely a phase where I was super, super into them. Audio Adrenaline for sure would be one. I'll still revisit them from time to time. And I think they they sound on certain songs, especially it's just, it transcends their era and it's just a good song here and there. But even the stuff that is super like 90s, it's it's good super 90s. Look, I, <laughs> I will go back and listen to the Underdog album tomorrow. Oh, yeah. like, uh, that Underdog oh, album yeah. is fantastic. Um, I think I would have to throw, I listened to Toby Mac all through middle school and high school. So I would have to throw him in there. Um, and then maybe red. Those would probably be five. If I, if I had more time to think about that, it might be a little different, but off the top of my head, those are five that I know I listen to a ton. We share for sure. Red. Um, yeah, I've been, I was a fan of them from the beginning and actually still really like them. They played it louder than life. Uh, in Louisville on Saturday. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for the fact that tickets were super expensive and all I wanted to see was red, probably would have gone. But uh, I didn't feel like paying the money to go see red and then leave because I didn't really care a whole lot about Slipknot or Machine Gun Kelly. Um, that might surprise some people. They're mm, not. That might have been kind of rad. Quite my vibe. I would have hung around just to watch. Now, maybe I would have, if they played the same night Metallica played, that would have been cool. But uh, yeah, that would have been good. So red is on there on my end. Uh, DC Talk was like number one for me as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, almost uh, annoyingly so, really. I have a tendency to be, I don't know if obsessive is the right word, but like get hooked on like one album or one artist and just play them nonstop for like three months. Um, and DC Talk was definitely that. I think Jeremy Camp was on that list for a little while. His first couple... See, I never got into him. His first couple albums I thought were fantastic. And then he morphed into that everything sounds the same, mm-hmm. you know, cookie cutter Christian pop vibe first couple albums he right. had some he had some rock he, he had some rock and roll on there and, yeah. and and went pretty good and then um huge fan of skillet i think i mentioned them and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what the fifth one would be it might uh reliant k is is up there especially their first uh two or three albums and then uh skip the two lefts don't make a right but three do i think is that, i think that's what that one's called we can skip there's that. some good stuff on there ah see i just i don't know it was a little too but mm-hmm, I thought it was brilliant, uh, lyrically yes. at least, was was fantastic. So I think Reliant K would have to end up being that fifth. Like I said, if if I had thought of that question earlier, I might have I might change. But uh, I thought of that <laughs> those question are solid lists all the way around though. As I asked it, so all right, guilty pleasure group that you liked when you were a kid. Uh, that looking back now, you're like, how did I like them? I, I would beat myself up if I met myself in middle school right now. I mean, I, I know mine was plus one. I already mentioned them. I was all about yeah. the, the the boy bands there for a little bit. If you don't know who Plus One is, take it. Is it? Go look at that and look at uh, the song Written on My Heart. Just quintessential Brad in like sixth grade. Are we talking Christian or across the board? Uh, we can go across the board. But if you have a Christian one too, that'd be cool. Okay. No, that's fair. I, the first thing that popped into my mind is like, if I'm really being honest with myself, I was into Justin Bieber the whole time. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And now that I'm like an adult, I'll stand by it way more confidently. <laughs> I probably never admitted that in my entire life. Um, but yeah, no, that would probably be one. I don't know about any like guilty pleasures on the 
Christian side of things though. Cause I feel like that was all like blessed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you remember, um, do you remember Zoe girl? Was that a group that you ever, Yeah. are you too young for that? Yeah. I don't know. Um, that would be on my list as well as guilty pleasure. Songs. Is that now, a guilty pleasure though? I don't know. They were very attractive. So it, that might help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who would blame you for that? Yeah. I don't know. I got, I can be fun of a decent amount, but that may have been for other reasons. <laughs> that, that's the thing is like, I don't, I'm not, I'm having a hard time labeling any of these as like guilty pleasures. I could probably find some way to defend most of them. So I'm that's trying fair. to think of something that's just indefensibly terrible. Right. No, cause I, I could defend plus one with, I like harmony, big fan of harmonies. I still like harmonies. That's, I still like Southern gospel because of the harmony. And that's yeah. kind of what boy bands were. It was just five guys singing in auto-tuned perfect harmony. So yeah. <laughs> now that I know it's auto-tuned, it loses a little bit of its luster. But back then I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't know, you don't care. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So let's, all right. So more of the meat of, of where we are. And, and you mentioned to me when we were talking about this, that you had a pretty, pretty good hot take for this. What is going on with Christian music today? And, and what are your thoughts on where the industry is? Because I do think the, the mid to late nineties and early two thousands, it was honestly at its peak. And, and yeah. You had Mercy Me with I can only imagine having success across all platforms. All, I mean, you hear that you would hear that song in the mall, right? And, and in a in an Amber Crombie and Fitch, it would pop up like that song was everywhere. And you know they're selling out arenas and they're they're um, it, it's at its peak. You have you have the the height of Christian music festivals. Where like here in Kentucky, you had Ichthus and and New Song, and at Ichthus specifically, you know you're looking at over the course of the four or five days that it, that it went on 30, 40,000 people. And I just don't know if the draw is there anymore. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think one thing I've noticed is I think there's been a huge shift in contemporary Christian music where the stuff that's really popular right now is all worship music. Like it's, um, Maverick city, Bethel, um, oh shoot. Elevation. uh, Furtick's church. Elevation. Elevation. Um, all the hill songs they're you know they'll never go anywhere but like you have you have a much better shot of charting on the christian charts if it's a worship song um so that's kind of to me it seems like that's been an interesting trend in christian music um and so because of that they can get super popular within sort of christian circles maybe even more popular than sort of the non-worship based type stuff would have been because it's kind of appeals to certain tastes depending on what genres you like, but it's not going to necessarily have that same crossover success because I mean, if you don't want to listen to a worship song because you <laughs> don't worship that God, right. <laughs> right. You're not going to check it out. Like, and, and frankly, like they're great as worship songs, but musically they're not always the most interesting. Like they're good. I like them. I love singing them. I have emotional reactions to them. You know, I'm, I also believe the same things. So it doesn't right. have to be well, who's musically like the, the next step in music. Who's listening to Phil Wickham and Elevation and Hillsong? Who's listening to these people besides Christians? I mean, nobody. Yeah. It, it's not, yeah. and maybe that's not their, pur- maybe they, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe they don't want their purpose to be actual outreach and they want it just to be ministering to, Christians and there's a place for that. I think I think you're right with that. Yeah. I think it is much more like internal worship based than 
let's see if we can get non-Christians to get into this music because it sounds good. And then maybe they'll listen to the message too. And I think, I think you're right. I think that was such a huge shift because I do think that that mid late nineties, early two thousands, it was a lot more about outreach. You had, you had bands like Skillet, Reliant K, Red doing the hard rock, but also with the message of the gospel mixed in. Mm -hmm. Um, You had bands like Mercy Me that, like I said, had that crossover success and, and, had a pretty mainstream sound that could be played on all radios. And I just, I don't see that anymore. And now granted, full disclosure, I probably haven't listened to a Christian radio station for more than like 15 minutes since I got an iPad touch in my car when I was like 18 or 19 years old. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't really know what's getting played on the radio. That being said, I'll get, I'll jump on iTunes or Apple music every month or so, every couple of weeks even, and just see what's on and then see what's, hitting the charts, see what's, see what artists is coming out with new things. Like I know Crowder is still doing stuff. Actually, I think Crowder is one of the more solid but ones out there. <laughs> he dances between, um, original stuff and worship stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That his, his new album, Milk and Honey is pretty impressive because it, it, I don't know if you've listened to it at all, all the way through, but the genre change between songs is pretty, pretty impressive. He's got one. That called- makes sense though. Cause he did like a trilogy of albums a few years back and each one of them was like a slightly different take on different genres. Well, gosh, he went bluegrass for a little while too. Yeah. Did you go with yeah. me to that show at, at headliners? Uh, I did. Yeah. Yep. The last show before I moved away for a few years, uh, I went to see in Louisville was, was a Crowder show and it was right after he broke up with his band and he just did a full-on bluegrass show. Yep. And it was, it was better than anything he ever did with David Crowder Band. I do not disagree. <laughs> it was pretty fantastic. Um, it got That guy's crazy talented and a, still a lot of fun. And so with the transition to everything being worship music now, I find myself being insanely picky with what I listen to when it comes to, the, mm-hmm. when it, comes to it. With the worship stuff or with, with the, Christian? With the worship stuff. General. Christian music in general. Okay. But the worship stuff specifically, because that's dominating right now. And the whole reason I started this podcast was uh, with with Austin and Carter is because I don't think our theology is where it needs to be as a church. I think we've watered stuff down. We've we've ch- we've chosen to look at the surface level of Scripture and not get into the deep stuff that actually causes life change and causes different perspectives to be formed and and going beyond just the kind of normal. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins, rose again. Don't get me wrong; that's the most amazing story ever. But like, let's see how that Im- impacts our lives and what the theology that we believe how that impacts our lives. So, all that being said, with this modern-day worship music, lyrics are so important to me at this point. You, you said, you know, you, you mentioned a couple groups, Bethel and, and, and Maverick City and Elevation, and I kind of cringe a little bit because it's like, man, while all three of them probably have some good songs, in fact, your, your insanely talented wife drew me a tattoo based on an Elevation song. I was about to say, don't you have an Elevation song I, tattooed well, on you? Well, no, no. <laughs> But no, they have these fantastic songs that are co- that come straight out of scripture. But then they throw in some of these other ones that are just a little bit strange yeah. and a little yeah. bit off. And and you're and and then you start to think about what the church that is behind these worship bands believes. And you start looking at it like, yeah. oh, that's a little unsettling, right? So you got like Bethel. I don't really know a whole lot about it, but I know they do this thing called was it grave sprinkling? Is that have you heard about that? Or grave soaking? Oh, is that where they're trying to raise people from the dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grave soaking. Um, and that's coming out of Bethel, which is behind Bethel music. Yeah. That so concerns I've actually, me. <laughs> I've had this conversation so in depth so many times, cause uh, for your listeners benefit, I was a worship leader for 
mm, well, on and off for probably eight or nine years uh, with just a, a few little gaps in there. A really good one at that, by the way. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, um, I had to have this conversation, whether it was with church leadership, whether it was with other worship leaders from other churches, um, you know, do you play Bethel Elevation Hillsong type stuff at your church? And originally, yeah, I always did. Like, cause you would hear the song and be like, oh, that's a good song. I like that song. And you would just play it. And then I, I didn't really realize much of anything about the churches until, um, I started hearing this conversation happening, which really was probably five, six years ago that it kind of resurged probably with the resurgence or the surgence, I should say, of, um, what's the, what's the term for the type of podcasts that you guys do? Uh, not discretion, but discernment type podcasts. I don't know if you guys would label yourselves as that, um, couple of friends of mine that, that also have a, a theology based podcast would label themselves as a discernment podcast. Those are huge now. And every one of them has an episode on Bethel Hillsong <laughs> Elevation. That's so on, I've that's actually on my list. Of, it's actually on my list of ones to legitimately talk about, like dive really into, but I need like yeah. time to actually do a lot more research than I had for this one. But yeah. And it's a, it's a really tricky thing. Like if you actually want to if you actually want to give credence to the conversation, it's a really complicated conversation. And if you don't just want to go in and be so black and white about it as like, well, their church has theological and practical issues. So no, we're not going to sing any songs that came out of there. It's like, okay, well, you know, Bill Johnson didn't write this. Um, Stephen Furtick didn't write this. Some of them he actually, he had a hand very in. Very well but, could have. <laughs> yeah. Some of them yeah. he had a hand in. Yes. But you get what I'm saying. Like the lead pastor in the pulpit each week is not writing these songs. And so I know several worship leaders that refuse to play all three of those groups. But then there's a song like The Blessing, which is yanked straight out of numbers. Like there's hardly a lyric in that song that you couldn't find in scripture. Like it's a, and it's a, it's a good song. Like you wouldn't use it every week or anything, but I think an appropriate context, it's a great song. Uh, I love that song. I would not, if I were still, if I had still been a worship leader when <laughs> that song yeah. came out, I wouldn't hesitate to play that one. Uh, the one you have tattooed on you, like, love that song. Great song. I, I would have a hard time finding anything wrong with that song. If we didn't That's, mention it, Graves into Gardens is the name of that one. I don't yeah. know if I said that or not. I don't think we did. So that was, yeah. that was just a, a teaser for everybody. <laughs> uh, what, what does he have tattooed? Yeah. And there's yeah, Bethel's ish. There's a couple that I dance on liking, but yeah. um, they definitely have a little bit more of a like, okay, this is clearly theologically tricky um, and I'll, a lot more of their stuff. I like that you pointed out the whole idea of it being black and white because it's, it's not, I mean, just like almost yeah. anything we discuss that is controversial in any way, the truth almost is always somewhere in the middle, and it's never black and white. There's always room for gray areas. There's always got some, you know, I do think there, obviously, there are issues that are black and white. This one, I don't think, is one of them. Yes. Um, well, and I would I would open up the conversation. You can keep this in mind for when you actually have this conversation on a podcast, but are people getting saved in those churches? Right. If yeah. they are, then it's not black and white. Yeah. So, we can we can at least respect, to a point, what's happening. That's That's my intro into my point of view on that, but that's kind of 
way outside the point. Um, but no, you are right. There's a certain level of discernment you have to have with uh, worship music specifically. Uh, Maverick City is like, I don't know. I, I like a lot of their stuff. Um, and it seems like when it's one of those things, it's like they're like a slugger in baseball. It's either going out of the park or huge swing and miss. Like, yeah. And there's no in between. But they have a lot of hits. They have a lot of home runs in my book. I guess I'm not super familiar with them because I, I was introduced to them by uh, actually by my girlfriend and, and a few friends from church. And the few songs that they liked, and I don't know, Stephen, if you remember this about me or not, but uh, repetition in a, in a song drives yes. me insane. Um, okay, that's an issue with Maverick City. If you <laughs> so if you cut off their song at four minutes, you're fine. Right. So I, I hear the same line over and over again for about three and a half minutes, and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I understand mm-hmm. Jesus is the answer. Yes, I mean that may not be the line, but like I get it. it um, let's okay. let's go to the next point. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's not belabor. No, you're absolutely right. So uh, that's where I'm like I heard like two or three songs. It all felt that way, and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I don't. They're coming to Louisville, and I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, y'all can go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to see Phil Wickham, so that'll be good. Uh, I think. Oh, that'll be awesome. His new album is. I, I love his stuff. Yeah, his new album is incredible. Um, yeah. So, so let me, let me throw this out there. Cause yeah. you, you teased that I had a hot take and I do, I haven't gotten into that yet. Oh, let's do it. So here's something I've been ruminating on for a few weeks now. And here's, here's my thesis. I think that a certain artist is going to either be the birth of a renaissance in Christian music and a revitalization of it or a nail in the coffin oh, of contemporary Christian music. And I think that artist is Kanye West. That is fascinating. All right. So let me jump into this. Yeah. So please explain. <laughs> if your listeners don't know, or anyone listening to this doesn't know, Kanye West professed to become a Christian two or three years ago. Three years ago, I think. Two years ago, he releases basically a gospel hip hop album called Jesus is King. It's met with mixed to kind of colder reviews. Um, I like some of the songs on there. I would argue it feels like a 75% finished album. Uh, Just seems a little rushed. Some of the ideas aren't quite fully formed. A few weeks ago, he just released another album. It's got like 26 songs on it. It is completely fully developed. It's called Donda. It's named after his late mother. It is, it's definitely going to be the best hip hop album of the year, if not in contention for the decade. It's one of the best sounding albums like strip away every lyric and just listen to the production of this album it's the best sounding thing i've heard in years it's also very original sounding like cutting edge uh like i've never heard some of the things that are happening on this album musically before and it's not in like a oh this is modern experimental and weird it's oh yeah oh yeah of course yeah <laughs> this is great yeah and it's not like a full gospel experience like Jesus as King was, but it, he's definitely very openly and in a very raw way speaking about his struggles with spirituality and, and coming into the faith and wrestling with God and all that kind of stuff on top of different issues that he's going through in his personal life. That's very public. Um, and it's just very raw, open, honest. It's crazy. And if I'm a, if I'm a CCM exec in Nashville and I see this album, I see that a lot of Christians are listening to it. A lot of Christians started listening to his stuff after Jesus is King. And then I look at the fact that it's already made over 6 
billion dollars. Oh my gosh. Six billion dollars. Insane. Since since pre-release and still going. Like it's still chart topping. I would be really looking into some things. <laughs> and I think the answer is you either steer towards the people that are doing that are trying to be on the cutting edge a little bit more, trying out new things, being a little bit more experimental musically, exploring things in a more honest and sort of raw way uh, with their spiritual lives. That was a point I was going to bring up at some point. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Instead of trying to have this cookie cutter, it's got to hit these things so that, you know, all of the middle America Christians will be happy or whatever. Because when you have that, you're not actually saying anything anyway. Or they're going to say, okay, we've got to find some people that'll make an album that sounds like this. And everyone's going to be like, well, why would we listen to these guys when he's also apparently a Christian and it sounds better? (laughs) And so that's why I say either they'll catch on and be like, oh, we need to up our game and let the creative people actually shine through and do what they want. Or they're going to keep doing what they're doing. And you can't even call Kanye a crossover. He's like his own level of famous at this point um people are just going to listen to that oh and and with the only thing that'll stay relevant is the worship music right oh exactly and with the with the advent of of streaming where even even before streaming when you had the advent of itunes we could just buy single songs and not have to buy a full album and now with streaming where you pay you know a monthly subscription fee and you can again similarly there download what songs you want, what songs you don't want. You don't have to download albums. You can just be like, I like this one. I don't like this one. And you can pick and choose. It's going to be so much easier for the Christian music industry to just slip through the cracks. The Christian music industry that isn't worship. Because of course, like you said, worship is huge right now. And it will be for a while, I'm sure. But it does. You're you're not going to see a lot of Rhett Walker. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, You know, and I I don't like, and this is a, different topic but like francesca battistelli your your older your older school people like you know your michael w smiths and your steve you're not going to see those people anymore because everyone wants to do worship and if they try to do something different it just fails because the production isn't as good the lyrics aren't solid and they're trying too hard to sound like everybody else like like you brought up stephen curtis chapman he made probably his most open honest and raw album ever right after his daughter died um really stripped back. I feel like it only they only let him make it because they felt bad for him and that he'd already made them millions upon millions of dollars. So they were like, yeah, man, do what you need to do to grieve and then come back and make us hits later. And so he makes this album. It's one of the most beautiful things ever. It's raw. It's tough to listen to, but it's probably one of the best Christian albums of all time. Um, and probably one of his least successful. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so what do you think it causes... I was just about to say, I think there's a certain level that you absolutely can and have to blame on, um, like the studios, the executives, the labels that pump out Christian music. Um, cause they do have, you can do some research. They do have a pretty tight control and especially through like the eighties and nineties and maybe even early two thousands to a point, they were like maniacally tight controlling on their artists. Uh, so I think that's part of it, but even just as I was talking a second ago, it says something about us as consumers, us as Christian consumers, what gets big and what sells and what's popular. 
So like, look at what's popular. Worship is really popular right now. I think that says good things. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do too. But when you but when you do look at some of those albums, like the Stephen Chris Chapman one I brought up, there's been some Crowder albums that have been absolute duds, as opposed to the far less interesting stuff that he was doing with David Crowder Band. You could probably go through and name all kinds of albums from really great artists that are probably their most musically interesting, but were their most commercially unsuccessful. And that says more about the people listening to it, I think, than the people making it or the people putting it out. So you look at... There, there's, I don't know how to resolve that, right. that conversation. No, there, there's, not a, there's not a need to answer because you look at... there was, And I'm sure you've seen this video. There's a video of John Christ and Aaron Weber did where they were kind of parroting the... Christian music industry. And they had this group uh, of, I think, three people that were this new band they were going to sign. And they just made, they just roasted the Christian music industry. And it was funny because it was true and like really eerily accurate, where they were talking about, yeah. you know, we need more water references. We need more vague struggles. We need more, you know, just <laughs> the four chords, right? Four chords, G, C, D, and E, right? Four chords, that's all you need to write a Christian hit song. And there's so much truth in that comedy video. Because everything has started to, at least I think mid-2000s, I think is where it turned, where if it wasn't worship music, which on some level sounds the same, but lyrically you're getting more, and you're getting more emotion, and you're getting more scripture a lot of times with a lot of these groups. But these other artists, your your Jeremy Camps and your, um, you know, your, your Battistelli's and all, all these other names that I don't even remember who's playing anymore... <laughs> That just, it, it is cookie cutter. It all sounds the same. It's not deep. It's not challenging anybody's faith. It's not challenging anybody to grow. It's just a vague, like, when trials come and when storms rage, you are my hope. Okay, yes, I get it, but let's get specific. Let's deal with something real. Yeah. And we're just not doing that in, in this industry right now. I say we, I'm not in the industry. You know what I mean. <laughs> I, think, I think it would help. And I think there's a small movement within Christian music that's like this, but we need more storytellers, you know, like we we're saying this over and over again, how like, you know, be open, be raw, be honest. You see it more in hip hop in like Christian rap, Christian hip hop, because it is more of a storytelling type form, but we need more of that style. I think right now, maybe even an overcompensating in that direction, because yeah. I think artists need to see, and it needs to get successful, which means people actually have to listen to it. But I think artists need to see like, oh, if I just tell the truth about what I experienced, then that can be the music. And it's like, yes, and that's what would probably be better. So please start doing that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so I think that would be a good direction for it to move in. I, I think so, too. And, and I think there are a few people doing some good things. But and that leads me to kind of my next thought was the people that I feel like are doing good things that are kind of experimental and, and a little more raw, a little more are your bands that don't that are faith-based but aren't Christian bands anymore or don't label themselves mm -hmm. as that. You might get, I think, so I th one of my favorite bands, probably my favorite band is Need to Breathe. Every album, they'll put one song that's good for Christian radio just to get the play, mm -hmm. get the airplay, and get people to maybe look at the album. And the rest of the album is usually fantastic. Like they, yeah. their lyrics are raw. He, they write from, they write about struggles. They write about different things that, you just don't get, but they're also not marketing some, themselves as a Christian band at this point. Mm -hmm. They've never been on a Christian label that I remember. I think they've always been on Atlantic, and I don't know what they're on now, to be honest with you. But they don't do, they, you know, they they don't tour at churches. They don't tour it. They might do festivals um, still here and there, but for the most part, they're playing in theaters and I think 
here soon in an arena, you know, opening up for Taylor Swift at one point. The real creativity well, I'm seeing is from these bands that aren't like Switchfoot just put out a new album in Tarot Bang. It's a bizarre album if you haven't listened to it. Yeah. It's different <laughs> from anything they've done in the past. But like it may not be something I thoroughly enjoy, but like I, I'm I'm really happy they're doing something different. Yeah. And they're they're still writing about their faith. They're still writing about maybe more um, maybe not as implicit or uh, explicitly, but it's still there and you can hear it, mm-hmm. but they're, they're trying something different. Yeah. I mean, and you mentioned the debris, like their whole like side explosion of music that happened around them, like Drew Holcomb, Johnny Swim, yep. Penny and Sparrow. Uh, I think Penny and Sparrow pretty openly deconstructed in the last couple of years, but like similar type deal where faith-based people making regular music with occasionally allusions to faith-based uh, topics because that's what's in them, right. you know? So Need to Breathe kind of opened the door for all three of them to have their own level of success. I wouldn't say it's like major pop mainstream success. No, definitely not. Outside of maybe a couple of Holcomb songs that crossed over briefly. Yeah. Um, but definitely successful to a point. And so those are... It takes bands that are like that. And I, I'm i trying to think of bands that kind of jumped off of Switchfoot, essentially. I, I don't think you get Reliant K without Switchfoot. No, uh, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other... Uh, what was the... It's another guy that just deconstructed. Um, super popular like punk was band from, from around uh, time. Hawk Nelson. Yeah. You don't get Hawk Nelson without Switchfoot. Basically, the whole Christian punk scene, you would not right. have without Switchfoot. So... All it takes is that one band to kind of open that door, and then you get a little mini golden age for whatever genre they're in. Because um, we already mentioned Reliant K. I would argue that they wouldn't get to where they were without Switchfoot coming before them, but they weren't Switchfoot. They weren't no. trying to be Switchfoot, and no. they released a bunch of their own sound, their own original stuff. And and, and some of it was really goofy. Those other artists. <laughs> yes, yeah. it was. You know, for Need to Breathe, you have Johnny Swim, Drew Holcomb. You could go down the line with uber successful, either Christian or Christian adjacent bands. And they blew open the doors for at least two or three others that are also really fantastic. Yeah. So I'll get your thoughts on this and then we'll kind of get close to wrapping up here. You have a, you have two bands, Christian bands that are still going really strong and playing these festivals like that in life, Red and Skillet. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two groups? And, and kind of, I don't know if, uh, if you're familiar with what they're doing right now, but if you are, kind of, how how do you feel about them? Because Skillet, man, they're you know, I was listening to a radio show the other day, and it's a group of guys that don't, they're not believers, they don't listen to Christian music, and they know who Skillet is, and they're yeah. like, yeah, they put on a good show, like they're good. And same with Red, where Red is a lot less uh, explicit in their Christianity than Skillet is, because John has become mm-hmm. extremely vocal lately, um, which has been yeah. great to see. But what are your thoughts on those two groups? And and if if they can have, if they can be a, a, a kind of a guide for moving forward? Yeah, well, I think Skillet should retire. I, I <laughs> and I say, I mean that in the most respectful way, though. Actually, like I'm not a Skillet hater. I mean. I've paid a little bit of attention to the stuff John Cooper's been doing lately. I want him to stop doing Skillet because he could never sing anyway. Um, <laughs> I want him to stop doing Skillet and I want him to become like a respected elder statesman in the Christian scene. Okay. Like, outside of even just Christian music. Like, yeah. I've seen him doing the podcast circuit. He just released a book. 
Which uh, his book like is awesome, by the way. Yeah, so he's out there talking and getting a lot of attention. And he's a voice that I think Christians need to hear right now too. Yeah. And so, but he's not like a pastor or a theologian. And he brings a certain like real life uh, expertise well, to he's, it. He's got a, 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 his legs are covered in Marvel tattoos, right? Like yeah. <laughs> the yeah. guy's just cool. I don't know. He's got a beard that yeah. make anyone jealous. I don't know. <laughs> so really, I just want <laughs> that band to be retired. Let's have the next skillet, get someone to fill the void uh, and let him take on a new sort of position within Christendom, if you will, uh, or at least American Christendom. Yeah. As far as Red goes, I feel like they have their fan base. I don't know how much they're growing in popularity necessarily. They have a really, really dedicated fan base, and they're kind of exploring every nook and cranny of their niche, you know? Like they did one album in conjunction with a graphic novel. Right. And that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like that's an awesome idea right? and super creative. So, I mean, I think if you're using them as a template though, like don't be afraid to be pigeonholed into just having a decent career. Like, no, they're not the most successful Christian band anymore, but they can still sell out shows. Oh yeah. Uh, and it may not even be like stadiums. They may be selling out like a headliners level venue, but they still have pyro. And can afford to live off of what they do. Oh, so it's gosh. like burned my face wanna... off at Ichthus. My goodness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was right there with you. Same. No eyebrows. Oh, um yeah, I mean, what do you what do you want as a Christian artist getting into it? Do you want the potential to explode and have this huge hit song and be mega famous and mega wealthy and play in front of stadiums? Or are you good with just like mid-level mid-level venues, festivals, living off of the shows you do and doing what you want creatively and trying out new things and well, you, you look you know, at doing your thing. A lot of these bands that have decided to get off their label and do their own thing. I think Switchfoot's one of them. They, they are not on a label. They mm-hmm. produce everything themselves and they're still having yeah. success. They're on tour with Need to Breathe right now. And from what I've just seen on social media, most of their shows are darn near sold out, if not sold out. Um, oh, every yeah. show they're playing, they're playing, you know, nine, 10,000 seat arenas and, or not arenas, but theaters and, and different venues. Um, they're actually playing the Bridgestone arena soon. It'd be interesting to see how full that gets in out in Nashville. Mm-hmm. But what, what I, what I struggle with is music is so crucial to our culture. It's, it's interesting. I, I, and this may be a flaw of mine, but like when I'm watching a movie and there's some language in it, it doesn't really bug me when I'm listening to to music and there's a lot of language in it it really bothers me <laughs> like there's this something about music is just it's just different than anything else that we experience and what kind of makes me nervous not, not not nervous but like it concerns me a little bit is this whole christian music is just it's disappearing outside of worship so you're not getting your next skillet your next red your next audio adrenaline you're you're not getting these groups because everyone has to do the same four chords put out a Christmas album, put out a hits album, put out a greatest hits album, and then they're done. And maybe they join yeah. the Newsboys at one point. Like, it's just, there's, I stole that joke from the video, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> joining the joining the Newsboys is like the death rattle of your career. Right. So, 
Although I will say this, I would have gone to see them on the United tour when Phil Joel and uh, uh, Peter Furler were with them too. That'd have been kind of cool because mm, yeah. like those guys were great. So anyway, Christian music I think is dying outside of worship. And that upsets me a little bit because it was such a big part of my life growing up. And I think there were so many solid bands that were out there when I was growing up that just didn't fit the mold or fit the mold of the time. And it worked. I just don't see yeah. it working right now. And who's listening to these music? It, it's your, it's people our age listening to the stuff we used to listen to. And then people listening to the new stuff are young kids and their 50 year old parents and grand or six year old grandparents. Like it's, it's not. Yep. reaching anybody new i don't think um no and so like we don't obviously have solutions we're not in the music industry but like what's the solution how do we fix this we can't fix it but how does it get fixed um and that's a conversation that i don't do what let it burn let it burn yeah let it burn and you know you and i can live off of streaming the old stuff for you know seven <laughs> eight nine ten years and wait for the next little crop of people to come up and and do something interesting. And look, for centuries, it was Christian music that was at the like forefront of art and culture. Whether it was Christians or not, we don't know. But it was Christian music. It was the churches commissioning these guys. It was sometimes Christians writing the music. And then at some point, maybe it's because we have such a firm footing in tradition, which is not a bad thing. Right. But we stopped being able to be the cutting edge of arts and of music. And I've been saying this since I was a teenage worship leader is if, if we actually believe in and serve and love and explore an infinite God of infinite power who made everything around us, which is beautiful and incredible and unimaginably detailed in the world. How do we not have more than anyone else to create about? And how are we creating the most boring cookie cutter stuff in the world? Maybe if we, I'm not saying this is everyone in the music industry, of course, but, but it sounds good. Maybe if we didn't have a cookie cutter view of God, we wouldn't make cookie cutter music about him. Oh yeah. What a great way to end that part of the conversation. I mean, I couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> like that's, that's it. That's it. So as we kind of wrap up, what are you listening to now? Like what is your... Christian, non-Christian, what, where, where is your, where is Stephen getting his musical kicks right now? That's a yeah, totally terrible way to ask um, that question. <laughs> I like a lot of the worship stuff we talked about. I've got, I'm looking through some playlists now. I've got some Bethel in there. I've got some Jen Johnson, although she's kind of hit or miss too. Got some Maverick City. I can never get away from some Chris Tomlin. As hard as I may try sometimes. <laughs> Phil Wickham is fantastic. Yes, he is. Capital City. Capital City has a few good things. Uh, there's a couple of Bethel things in there. City of Light has some good stuff. Especially for people here locally, check out albums by Iron Bell Music. Uh, there's some gems in there. Really like small local ministry that has put out a couple albums, more worship-based, really good stuff. So basically all the worship stuff we already talked about <laughs> is stuff that I'll listen to on the Christian side of things. Um, as far as like non-worship Christian music, I don't even know. I don't think I've listened to any. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So I'm way, way outside on that one. And then, oh, Cody Carnes, He's pretty great. On the non-Christian side of things, I've been going back in time a little bit. I've listened to a lot of Fleetwood Mac. John Mayer just released a new album, John Legend. 
Okay. I'm a big John Legend fan. Halsey just released a new album, which is not Christian at all, but it's <laughs> kind of awesome. Yeah, full disclosure, uh, not everything's going to be, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit ashamed to admit that uh, I really liked Drake's latest album. Okay. Because <laughs> I hate Drake, and he is very hateable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so a lot of different stuff. I'm all over the place musically right now. And a lot of times it's stuff I can put it in on the background. So there's a lot of old school jazz and stuff like that in there as well. Well, I, you know, I've mentioned Need to Breathe. They're always pretty much at the top of the playlist right now. Um, uh, I've been called a fanboy at times. Um, I do have three Need to Breathe inspired tattoos. Wasn't planned that way, but it just kind of happened. Lyrics for two of them. So like that makes sense, right? If you don't know it's them, you won't know it's them. It's good. But uh, the, the little skull I have on my elbow is, is one of their things. But um, uh, like kind of going, like going through this, uh, Sturgill Simpson put out a, a new concept album uh, called oh, The yeah. Dude and Juanita, or The Ballad of Dude and Juanita. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. It's, it's only like 28 minutes long, the whole album, 10 songs. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic from top to bottom. So big fan of his. Uh, Penny and Sparrow, they put out a new song recently, and I enjoy that one. Um, I do still like yeah. Skillet. They put out a new song a couple weeks ago that I think is pretty good. But if you don't like his voice, you don't like his voice. I get it. <laughs> but no, basically a lot of people we've mentioned. Uh, Drew Holcomb. I, I'm trying to get into the new Switchfoot album a little bit. It's not quite my cup of tea, but I'm trying to like it. Just because, again, I appreciate yeah. what they're doing. Johnny Swim's got some stuff out there that I think is pretty fantastic. And um, a guy named Noah Gunderson. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. Uh yeah. He has a new album coming out and he's got a song on it that's released and and uh it's he's got a great voice and and then on the Christian side it it is a, it's it's Phil Wickham uh, a little bit of Crowder his newer stuff I like uh, Matt Carney and then some worship stuff and then I just listen to uh old old stuff I have a playlist on my old phone stuff. of Throwback yeah. Christian and just hit <laughs> shuffle and see what see what pops up um, yeah although I will say this and and we can kind of cut it here and and we'll talk about your podcast for a second too um carrie underwood put out a hymns album that is unbelievable Ooh, it is unbelievable Um, i need to look something up real quick okay stand by because (laughs) speaking of hymns albums there's one really recently that a friend turned me on to and it's really really good uh i know the title of the album I'm trying to find the artist. Okay, so the album is called Backslider, and the artist is David Ramirez, and it's just a hymns album. It's awesome. I love it. Okay. It's really, it's really stripped back. Kind of, he's got a really gravelly voice. Um, it, it, it's great. Check it out. It's amazing. I love that, it. It's only like seven songs, so it won't burn a lot of time. Yeah, that will be downloaded. There it is. Oh, and good songs too. Yeah, yeah. I like all yes. of those on there. So I will check that out today while I'm probably cooking dinner. But yes. uh, no, um, so that's kind of where it is. I like the old stuff. I like I, I like hymns. So you can always get me. I'm a sucker for hymns. So you can always get me with a new hymns album. An older one like Jimmy Needham has one that's all jazzed up and big fan of that one. That's a really good album. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he did a great. His hymns volume one made me think hymns volume two was coming and then he became <laughs> a pastor. So what's up with that? But uh, yeah, so let's uh, transition here. Um, great conversation. I think... Um, a lot to springboard onto when we decide to get into this topic a lot heavier. Um, cause I think we, this, you, you were great on that. Tell us about your podcast. Um, I've listened to a, a few episodes, full disclosure. I have so many I listen to that. I'm when I see a movie that I'm really into, 
that's usually the one I jump on and, and make sure I listen to. Yeah. So tell us about kind of what Marvelous Music is and the concept and how they can find you. Yeah, I just assume that's how everyone listens to my podcasts. Like, <laughs> they just jump in on the movies that they love or sound interesting to hear more about them. Um, but yeah, so it's actually kind of like a, a child podcast to the podcast of a couple of friends of mine, which is the Marvelous Podcast. They started that because they wanted to go through all of the Marvel films uh, in order and talk about them. And then they finished that. And so they had to move on and do other stuff, but it was still called the Marvelous Podcast. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they asked me a few months ago now if I would jump on and do specifically a podcast about movie scores, because I'm really into not just movies, but I've always loved soundtracks. If it hasn't been abundantly clear, music is like a huge part of my life. And film score analysis is something I'm really into. Very huge nerd out for it. <laughs> um, so they asked me to start that podcast and I jumped on that. And uh, yeah, it's basically, it combines sort of having an analysis of the music in a movie. Like here are the themes, here's what this music is trying to communicate. Like maybe even a little bit of here's why they would do it like this with, you know, these notes or these chord patterns, because this tends to signify this, that, or the other, like all different kinds of stuff like that. But it's blended with the tone of the podcast that they have, which is very much just a couple of guys sitting around talking about movies they like. And so it's it's kind of a hybrid of what they've been doing, you know, being friends and talking about movies and analyzing the scores of movies. And that's kind of a cool combination. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like you're, you either get like... If you look up film score analysis, it's either going to be like really in-depth music theory, you know, kind of over everybody's head, which I'm really into that kind of thing. And it's still over my head. Or it's just going to be someone saying an opinion you don't like and no one watches those anyway. <laughs> so it's cool to have like a much more accessible, I think, version of, oh, that makes me think about the score a little bit more and I'm going to enjoy this movie even more. And the whole point is basically to either get you to watch the movie or if you've already seen it and you like it, help you to enjoy it even more and get more out of it than you got before. So it's really all just about having a good time and, and enjoying things as much as you possibly can. And I know I told you this, but like I listened, the very first one I listened to is the Baby Driver episode, which yeah. we both share an affinity for that movie. I've watched it more times than I've watched most movies, honestly, especially if mm -hmm. like I'm cleaning or doing something and need something to listen to. I throw that movie on. About 30 minutes into it, I wind up sitting down watching it and not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But that's fine um, because it is such a great movie. And I may have mentioned this to you. I don't remember, but I, I just I want to just point out my one grievance in that you mentioned in the episode that someone had told, I think it was even your podcast partner, told you to watch it. Yeah. Uh, you didn't. You didn't go see it. A little bit of behind the scenes about my world. I will randomly buy movies. Movies I haven't seen, movies I'm like, oh, that looked interesting, or I remember hearing about that one, and I'll just buy them. I don't care about streaming services. I have a movie wall. Like, it's fine. But I bought Baby Driver. We were living together, and I watched it. I don't think I watched it with you. Watched it on my own. Yeah. And then I was like, mm -hmm. you should really watch this. I think you would enjoy it. And so I just feel like I didn't get the credit I deserved for finally pushing you to watch that movie. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, you didn't, because I completely <laughs> forgot about that until you reminded me. And if it hadn't, have, if the episode weren't already released, I would have gone in and put like a little bumper at the end, and been like, "Hey, oh, by hilarious. the way, I need to adjust this story a little bit." <laughs> no, but uh, got seriously, if you are, and I know some of our listeners are definitely music guys and music girls that you guys would really like this podcast, especially on movies that you, that I know you guys enjoy. Uh, check it out, marvelous music. I think it's on all the streaming services, Apple. Google, Spotify. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will I link like the easiest. Yeah. Links there would yeah. be great. One of the easiest things is just to find me on social media and, and follow it through there because I've always, I've got a link tree that I have everywhere. But yeah, I'm trying to think if you search, if you search either like Marvelous Podcast or Marvelous Men, you'll find it. Cool. I will link at least the Baby Driver episode, if not the most recent episode, into the comment or into the uh, description of this episode and and check it out. Give him a like, give him a five star review because that helps everybody out. Well, Stephen, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, man. This was great. This was a really cool conversation. I kind of wish Carter and Austin had been here for it, but uh, selfishly, <laughs> I enjoyed just talking to you, so it was good. <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Yeah. It was awesome to be Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, check us out on social media. Give us a five star review if you haven't done so yet. We will see you guys uh, next week. Uh, Hopefully we'll have Austin back. If not, I'll have another random person on and we'll uh, discuss another random topic. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. So in the meantime, guys, and Steven, this may sound a little corny to you, but we say this here at Rooted in Logos, stay rooted. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to our show. If you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. You can find us on Apple, Google, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, at Rooted in Logos Pod, or even on our website, www.rootedinlogospod.com. And if you want to support us financially, visit us at patreon.com slash rootedinlogospod.